Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 79 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions, or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are studying the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, also, uh, for any announcements regarding the podcast, you know, the upcoming episodes, the dates, the upcoming seasons, and, you know, when, when, when I go on breaks and all these things, uh, please follow me on Instagram at with Wa'il. Again, with Wa'il. Uh, you know, I also post short videos answering people's questions uh, regarding Islam. Uh, now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will talk about the Battle of Khaybar. Now, the Battle of Khaybar. Khaybar is a city in uh, north of Medina. And uh, the Mus- remember the, the, the Jewish tribes, the first two Jewish tribes, the, the, the Banu Qaynuqa and the Banu Nadir, who were expelled from Medina, remember, uh, they when they were expelled, they went to live in Khaybar because Khaybar actually had uh, populated mostly by Jews and there were people of Khaybar already living there and these two tribes went there to join them. Now, when they did that, they didn't stop their hate towards the Muslims. They didn't stop their hate towards uh, the Prophet wasallam. So they started instigating problems, instigating issues. Like, for example, who started the Battle of the Trench? It was Banu Nadir. When? When they, after they went to live in Khaybar. So they didn't stop. That never stopped them from, you know, trying to harm the Muslims. Uh, you know, this, this whole battle of the trench, 10,000 people, it was all instigated and started by Huyayi, the leader of Banu Nadir, to, uh, when he went to Abu Sufyan. And we talked about the whole story and he tried to convince him and they actually funded the war against the Muslims. And that didn't stop there, not just like after the battle of, of the trench, they started, they, they kept instigating and tried to harm the Muslims and trying to make alliances with the enemies of the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ knew that they were a threat, a serious one, right? And they turned from being an internal threat to an external threat. Think about it for a second. They used to live in Medina, these two tribes, right? And they used to plot and, and used to be tamed somehow, because again, they are under the Muslim ruling, and but they used to plot against the Prophet ﷺ. they try to assassinate him, remember? But now, they are openly, now when they were expelled, so now they're not internal anymore, they became external, I mean external tribes, hence their threat was an external threat, and they were pretty much open in their hatred towards the Muslims, and you know their animosity with, with, with the Prophet ﷺ. Now, after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the, the, the peace treaty with Quraysh, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, said, okay, there's no more war with Quraysh for 10 years, but now we have to focus on the one external threat, which is the people of Khaybar. The people of Khaybar. They're not stopping. They're not stopping. Quraysh is not going to engage in war with us, but they keep on 
causing trouble. They keep on trying to harm the Muslims with other tribes. Now, the Prophet ﷺ decided that, uh, you know, they will march to Khaybar and fight it and fight the people in it or conquer it, whatever you want to call it. Now, uh, about like 1,700 men uh, went with the Prophet Sallam. Uh, Muslims went with the Prophet Sallam and they reached the gates of the fortresses of Khaybar. Now, I say fortresses because Khaybar was not one big fortress. Khaybar was about between seven to eight fortresses. They were all small fortresses. So they were divided into seven to eight fortresses, but there were many fortresses. Now, that was a flaw in the design of Khaybar. Why? Because if, and think about it logically, if you're attacking one big fortress, it's harder than you're attacking small mini ones. You know, when you're attacking small fortresses, you know, mini fortresses, it's easier to take one fortress after the other. Instead of fighting all that force gathered together in one fortress, it would have been more difficult. And the Prophet ﷺ with the Muslims started taking and conquering one fortress after the other. Until there was a, 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 a fortress by the name of An-Na'im, it was tough to conquer. They were like the tough, one of the toughest. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, at nighttime when they were praying Aisha, he said, after, after the prayers, he said, tomorrow I will hand our banner to someone who is loved by Allah and his messenger, and who will lead us to victory. Now, what's interesting is that the rest of the companions were like eager to know who is that companion. You know, who is specifically, now all the companions are loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, but that one had, of course, a special status, right? And everybody wanted, you know, wanted that companion to be himself. Uh, and the, after Fajr prayer in the morning, you know, the Prophet uh, called for Ali ibn Abi Talib, his cousin Ali, and everybody knew that that was the one. Uh, and what a great honor that, you know, Ali received uh, by that statement. Now, the issue is Ali had an eye infection, so he re- remained in his tent. He could not move. You know, he could go, his eye was badly infected. He couldn't see with it. So the Prophet said, just bring him to me anyway. So Ali came to the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ spat in his eye. And again, like we said, the, the, the saliva of the Prophet ﷺ was blessed, not just pure. Because, you know, our disgusting fluids are impure. You know, we know that. But the Prophet ﷺ, all of his body fluids, like we said, his, his sweat, all his things were extremely pure, were like pure. And Allah, it was a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but not just pure. It was blessed as well. Remember when he spat in a bowl uh, during the Battle of the Trench uh, when they were cooking in it? And guess what? The food kept multiplying like God knows how many times. So the Prophet ﷺ spat in Ali's eye and instantly, and this is recorded by everybody who was in, 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 in the camp of the Muslims, instantly it was cured. The infection went away and he was able to see what this was. Well, 2020, you know, subhanAllah. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ gave him uh, uh, the banner and he said, go forth, Ali, and we are behind you. And again, it shows you the humbleness of the Prophet ﷺ. He could have been like, okay, I'm the army leader. I will lead you to, fi- to victory. If he had a shred, a shred of arrogance or a shred, and we know the Prophet ﷺ was extremely humble. 
many events we talked about. You know, the, the, the event of uh, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh when he asked him, you do the verdict for the people of Banu Quraida, remember? He is the leader. Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is the leader, the ultimate leader of the Muslims. But out of humbleness and wisdom and great leadership, he assigns leaders who are below him. So he tells Ali, Ali, you are the leader. You're going to lead us to victory, inshallah. And he gives him that status. Even though the Prophet is the leader of this entire battle, of this entire nation, right? But he still puts Ali, and he not just Ali, many leaders. Many, the Prophet you know, appointed many leaders while he was alive. You know, subhanAllah. Anyway, so Ali uh, goes forth and they start, you know, uh, 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 fighting uh, this this specific fortress and Naim. And uh, the, 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 it is reported that the, the leader of the fortress, he was so arrogant. He said, you know what? He left the fortress and he said, I'm going to get, you know, uh, I'm asking you guys, uh, you know, I'm going to fight you in a duel. Like, again, the customs that we're used to. So he starts, you know, fighting one of the Muslims, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, and he was able to kill him. Then Ali, you know, goes to attack him. And again, it was one-on-one, -on -one, and Ali was able to kill him. But after that, of course, the, the rest of the, of the Jews for that fortress, uh, Anam, they started, you know, they left the, the fortress and they attacked the Muslims. And something very interesting happened during this battle. During the battle, uh, one of the warriors uh, was able to knock out Ali's shield. Right, so they were fighting. He was able to knock out Ali's shield, and after he did that, Ali went uh, to like one of the gates within, you know, within the, the 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 city, and it was a huge, it was a big gate, but he was able to unhinge it, and he used that gate as a shield for the rest of the battle, not just between him and this warrior for the rest of the battle. So he was able to beat the warrior, but for the rest of the battle, Ali used the gate or that big door as a shield. And when the battle was over, the Muslims won, he dropped the gate. So what's interesting about this is that seven of the companions saw the gate that Ali dropped and they went to lift it and they couldn't. Seven people, seven people tried to lift the gate that Ali was holding and using as a shield. And again, he was not just lifting it, he was using it as a shield. That means he was blocking with it. He was, you know, fighting, maneuvering with it. He was fighting with it. He was moving with it. Seven people tried to lift the gate and they could not lift it. And it was very clear at this moment that Ali holding that gate and using it as a shield was a miracle by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's as if Allah gave him like a super strength, which is actually true. Looks like it, right? It was so heavy. Again, imagine a gate of a city. Think about it. A gate of a city back in the day was a heavy gate. Subhanallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Ali at the moment uh, an incredible miracle. And again, the Prophet predicted and Allah told the Prophet that Ali will be the one leading the Muslims uh, to victory. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving him super strength to be able to hold that gate the way he was uh, able to hold it and be able to fight with it. And not only prophets and messengers uh, could receive miracles. Some people like, what is the miracle of Umar ibn Khattab? I told, I said it before, and it's one of the most fascinating ones. Umar ibn Khattab, the Prophet this, this is coming from the Prophet himself. Allah revealed to the Prophet that when Umar walks in a street, shaitan, the devil, takes a different route. 
like physically it's not a metaphor it's this is not metaphorically this is for like if omar is walking from a street and there's a jinn who is evil jinn like shaitan or uh or, or you know like the devil is flying or walking whatever in that street once they see omar because how much they're scared of him they take a different route this is a miracle this is something that no one else has you know what i mean Ali also had his miracles and Abu Bakr had his miracles. Uthman had all of the companions, not all of them, but like the, the elite of the companions, each of them, like what, what, do, what, what did we say about uh, Uthman? Uthman ibn Affan. What did we say about him? The angels get shy of him. Imagine. He was so polite, so shy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the angels felt shyness, like true shyness when they are around Uthman. You know, Abu Bakr is mentioned in the Quran. You know, referenced in the Quran. Wasahibu, his friend. Blessings. Many blessings uh, regarding Abu Bakr Siddiq. Again, the elite of the companions were unbelievably blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, all the companions are mentioned in the Quran in a crazy positive way. But some, of course, they, they have ranks. You know, some are higher than others. And that explains why the, the Prophet ﷺ was talking about Ali the way he was. Every in, Throughout the biography of the Prophet ﷺ, you'll find that, you know, once in a while, uh, uh, some of the companions or one of the companions will shine and they will have their, you know, uh, blessed moment. Uh, so anyway, uh, moving on. A slave came to the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, they were about to conquer another fortress. So a slave from that fortress comes to the Prophet ﷺ. So what happened is his owner uh, uh, gave him a task of herding uh, a flock of sheep, that slave. So he's you know, herding the, 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 the sheep. And then he basically uh, made a stop by the Muslim camp and he went to the Prophet ﷺ directly. Now he heard about Islam. And Islam appealed to him, but he wanted to ask the Prophet ﷺ directly about Islam. So he asked him. Tell me about Islam. Why is Islam so special? And of course, the Prophet ﷺ started telling him about Islam, the stuff that we talked about in this podcast. And, you know, you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It gives you a meaning in life. It gives you a better hereafter. It gives you a guaranteed uh, paradise if you abide by the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you follow the commands of Allah and his Prophet. He told him all these things that we, alhamdulillah, you know, say uh, constantly on this podcast. And, you know, any any Muslim uh, uh, knowledgeable person would tell you. So right away, uh, Islam appealed to that slave and he embraced Islam. He be- literally took the shahada, the testimony of faith, and became a Muslim. Now, as soon as he did that, now he's a Muslim. So he, that means he's not going back to that fortress. He doesn't, he's a free man now. So he tells the Prophet ﷺ, what am I going to do with this flock of sheep? Should we just take it? Now it belongs to the Muslims. And the Prophet ﷺ said, nope, it's not our right. You have to return uh, the flock of sheep to their owner. And it shows you. Now, this is an open war going on, right? That master is one of uh, of one of the enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, obviously, right? Yet the Prophet ﷺ refuses to take his sheep in in such a manner. Now, we have to you have to understand that once the Muslims conquered that fortress, for example, that flock of sheep belongs to them, 
And by the way, this is according to all laws and rules and regulations of war when it comes to conquering, like a country conquering another. Now, now today's world, they don't this conquering concept doesn't exist. Well, technically, it does exist in one way or another, like you know, in a in a very politically correct way. But back in the day, when a country straight up conquers another country, a kingdom conquers another kingdom, whatever that this king, the conquered kingdom had, it belongs to the new, to the conqueror now. Right, so that's exactly so. If they conquered this fortress, that flock of sheep will be theirs. But the Prophet said, "What? Well, it's 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 not our right. We didn't conquer it yet. We didn't earn it. This has to go back to it, their owner." And then the Prophet because he knew that the slave did not want to go back to the to the to the to the fortress, so he rubs on the sheep, some of them, and he he rubs them, and then he tells them, he tells the the, the slave, take. The, the the flock of sheep put it in that specific location and don't worry they will go back to their master on their own now obviously that was a miracle by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, because the first time when he rubbed those sheep he was uh, making dua and, and, and calling Allah's names and all these things and the slave takes the flock and he puts it in that location without you know a little bit close to the fortress but not inside the fortress and then the sheep literally go straight to the fortress and they head directly to their master to their owner and the slave gets back to the prophet and he stays with the muslim camp now after a couple of battles after you know a couple of 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 conquered uh, uh, uh fortresses all the rest of the people from you know the the remaining fortresses they all retreated to the last standing fortress which was a big one and you know it, it had better chances of you know extending the siege time Right. Eventually, they were gonna fall. But the thing is, it had better chances of taking, and they indeed stayed in it for a long time, until you know. Of course, as usual, they were cutting off supplies, you know, food and drinks and whatnot, and all these things caused uh, the people of Khaybar to surrender. Now, what will happen to them? And that goes back to our uh, uh, our. Um, our episode when we talked about what happened to the people of uh, Banu Quraida. Banu Quraida were executed. Why? They committed treason. Banu Quraida were citizens of Medina. They were official citizens of Medina. And they committed treason by conspiring with an enemy who is attacking Medina externally. That's exactly what happened. And they tried to kill themselves, not just help them out. They tried themselves to kill the women and the children, then to kill the Prophet and the rest of the Muslims at the same. That was the plan, right? And they already tried, attempted to kill the children and the women. We talked about this uh, in the Battle of the Trench episode. But again, they committed the most obvious, the worst type of treason ever. That's why they were executed according to their own laws. We talked about, you know, the Old Testament and all these things and, and, and Deuteronomy 20, I think it was what, verse 10 to 14. Yeah. If you read those verses, they were treated according to their laws and according to the laws of today. If you think about it, treason is punishable by death and execution. Now, the people of Khaybar were not citizens of Medina anymore. Like even the two tribes, now we said the Khaybar is a mix between Banu Qaynuqa, Banu Nadir, these two first two tribes who used to live in Medina, and the people of Khaybar, and the Jews of Khaybar themselves, they used to live with them. So it was a mix, and they all conspired against the Muslims. 
you know, not just Banu Qaynuqa and Banu, uh, Banu Nadir. Also, the people of Khaybar themselves were helping to harm the Muslims. So all of them, they're not citizens of Medina anymore. So the Prophet never intended to execute them. The worst that was going to happen to them was they were going to be expelled. Just get out of here. We don't want any external threat. Because that was the problem. That was the issue. After the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, after the peace treaty with, the, with, with, the, with, with Quraysh, the only threat that was external, and that was, well, there was no more internal threat. So the only threat that was already external, they wanted to eliminate. The Prophet was trying to eliminate all these threats. So now when they conquered, like when, 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 when the, the people of Khaybar surrendered, what was he going to do? Not execute them because they didn't commit treason. They were enemies now. But they're not, you know, they didn't commit any treason because they were not citizens of Medina. So he was going to just expel them. And that shows you that what happened uh, happened as a reaction to what they did. The Muslims reacted to what the Jewish tribes did. Not because they hated the Jews and because it would have been obvious that he was going to execute these people. He would have executed the first two tribes in the first place. And, and this is... Respond, me responding to those Islamophobes who said, oh, uh, the Prophet executed the, the Jews because he hated them and he was anti-Semitic. We already addressed this uh, in the, in the, uh, in, in, you know, when we addressed it in, in episodes of the Jews and episodes of uh, the Battle of the Trench. Now, and this is even a bigger proof now, the Prophet was not intending on doing anything to them except expelling them because they were a big threat. But the people of Khaybar were like, how about let's have a negotiation now? Like, uh, let, let's. How about you guys? Okay, if you conquer us, we know the rule. You're gonna take our lands and take over everything, but you won't be able to do the uh, the agriculture that we're able to do. So again, they've been experienced in like you know farming and doing all the date palms and all these things. We know how to do this. You guys are not experienced in that yet. So how about this? How about we help you? with the agriculture, we help you with the produce, you let us stay here, and we split the produce. We split, basically, whatever the, the, the production of uh, of these, you know, farming and all these things. Half, ha, you know, half and half. 50-50 split. And the Prophet and again it shows, the Prophet said, okay, no problem, on one condition. That one condition is, you are not allowed to commit any truth, because now it becomes treason. We're going to live in this land. It's going to be ours. You're not allowed to betray this treaty. We have a peace treaty. You're not allowed to betray it. And if you try to harm us, you'll be expelled. And it shows that the Prophet ﷺ wanted to work with them. He agreed to, that, to, 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 their, you know, uh, to their negotiation. And he said, okay, you know what? Okay, I agree. Let's do this. But on one condition, if you try to harm us, if we find out that you're plotting against the Muslims, you will be out. You will be out. So uh, the people of, of Khaybar stayed in their homes um, and, you know, they had this business deal with uh, the Muslims in terms of like, you know, the agriculture and all these things. Now, in the, in the city of Khaybar, after, you know, after this whole like, you know, agreement and all these things took place, uh, 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 one of the tribes invited the Prophet ﷺ and the rest of the Muslims to eat and, and, and you know, feast basically and have, you know, a meal uh, as welcoming him and him agreeing not to expel them from Khaybar. So uh, the Prophet ﷺ accepted the, and they started, you know, they, they were, you know, preparing the meals and preparing the food. And then uh, there was the woman who was a, a cook and a chef. 
she was cooking the lamb for them and, and, and preparing the lamb for them. But there was a big, big, big problem. The problem is that woman's husband died in the battle of Khaybar on the hands of the Muslims and uh, her brother too. So that woman wanted vengeance. So what she did is she literally poisoned the entire big lamb. She poisoned the lamb and she asked, which part does the Prophet like the most? Which part of the lamb does the Prophet like the most? She was informed that it was the shoulder. And indeed, the, the Prophet liked the shoulder uh, of the lamb as, you know, that was his favorite part of, you know, of, of, of the lamb. So she put a lot of poison in that shoulder. So she poisoned the entire lamb, but she added extra poison in that shoulder because, again, she wanted vengeance uh, specifically against the Prophet So everybody sat. They put the meal. Everything was, was fine. And then, you know, from, from the customs, the Prophet is supposed to eat first and then the rest. So the Prophet you know, once he raised his, his hand with the piece of lamb, they all did the same and they were all about to eat. Now, as soon as uh, our Prophet ﷺ bites the meat, the shoulder spoke to him and told him, I've been poisoned, drop it now. So the Prophet ﷺ drops the meat and he says, everyone stop eating right now. So immediately all the companions stopped except for one companion by the name of Bishr. He already took a bite and he swallowed it. Now, he was severely ill. The, the poison was extremely strong that the Prophet ﷺ felt the pain of the poison all the way until he passed away. The Prophet when he was dying, it was a painful death. When we get to the, this is going to be our final episode uh, in the season. But when he was dying, it was a painful death. And there's a wisdom why he died a painful death. And it was not easy. There's a beautiful wisdom. Uh, and we'll talk about it when we get to it. But the Prophet said one of the reasons why the death was so painful is that the, the poison eventually on his deathbed eventually caught up to his uh, his heart. Eventually, the poison got to his heart, and that's what made. Now, the poison didn't kill him. He was not. He was not. He, the Prophet did not die because of that poison, but it made the process of death even more painful. So again, um, the poison was very strong. That you know, the companion felt sick right away. Uh, nobody else ate from it except for the bishop, right? And uh, they say that he was very, very extremely sick. And he technically died a few days later. But now the Prophet ﷺ called that tribe that gifted him. Now, that, of course, that shows you that, again, we shouldn't be surprised. The miracle of the uh, shoulder of the lamb speaking to, directly to the Prophet ﷺ. Some might say, why didn't Allah make the shoulder speak earlier? That's a question. That's a very valid question. Well, because it was Allah's destiny. Allah intended for the Prophet to feel the pain of that poison. So when he's about to die, it gets worse for that wisdom that we will talk about. But just as a short answer, when you are in pain, whether you're dying or living, that helps taking away from your sins. 
But because the Prophet didn't have these types of sins that we have, right? It helps look at now. On the other side, it helps elevate his rank to the highest rank ever in paradise. That's why the more painful the death was for the Prophet, the better rank and the most ultimate rewards he's going to get in the hereafter. That's a thing that we all know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not cause you pain unless it's really good for you. If you feel pain, it's good. Whether you're a good person or a bad person. If you feel if you feel pain because you're a bad person, that means Allah is taking away from your sins. And if you're a good person, that means Allah is elevating your ranks. You know, for the hereafter. So that's why that was Allah's will. And it was Allah's will for Bishr to die as a martyr. Because technically he was poisoned by the enemy. He died as a martyr. Now, the Prophet ﷺ called that tribe that gifted him the food. So they came in front of the Prophet ﷺ and he said, I'm going to, if I ask you anything, will you tell me the truth? And they said, of course. So he said, okay, who is your ancestor? Number one question. Who is your ancestor? And they answer, they say like some sort of, you know, some name. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, you are lying. Your ancestor is so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. Now, there's a reason why they were ashamed of that ancestor, something going on, something politically, so they did not want to announce the real name of the ancestor. But it shows that the Prophet ﷺ knows what no one else does. Allah informed them, and they know. Like, here's a very interesting part. Now, this is a proof from the Prophet ﷺ that he is a prophet of Allah. Yet, they don't believe in him. They don't follow him. Uh, and, and it shows you that it was all about arrogance. All about arrogance. You should have preferred us more than anybody else. More than the people, more than the Ansar, more than the people of Aus and Khazraj. More, you know, all those people, we should be, we should have been, you know, the top pick, basically. And that's why, that's the main reason why they didn't want to follow the Prophet They didn't want to accept Islam because of, you know, arrogance. Now, the Prophet asked them the second question. Who is going to the fire of hell according to your belief? So they said, we will go there for a short period of time, and then Allah will save us. But you Muslims will remain there forever. And to that, the Prophet ﷺ responded and said, rather you will remain forever unless you submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and follow his final messenger. And actually this is mentioned in the Quran, ayam al-ma'dudat, that the, the, the people, the, the, the Jews, they think that they will go to hellfire for 40 days or so, for a few days. For worshipping the, the the cow when Moses was not around. So when Moses used to go talk to Allah by the mountain of Tur, uh, 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 and he took a long time, 40 days, they started worshipping uh, the cow, al-ajl. So they think because of that sin, they will be sent to hellfire for 40 days, you know, to expiate the sin, and then Allah will save them. But Allah says in the Quran, that is totally incorrect. That's not going to happen unless you submit to the Prophet you know, Allah worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and submitting to the final messenger, you won't see paradise at all. Anyway, so that is the second question. So he asked them the third question. Did you poison the lamb? And they said, yes, we did. So he said, why did you do that? We just had a piece. Now, granted, that was only one tribe. You know that committed this 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 act, right? They're, they're trying to poison the Prophet The rest of Khaybar, they are still abiding by the treaty, and they will still be abiding by the treaty. You know, like they won't be kicked out or anything like that. But this tribe, the Prophet is asking them, "We just had a treaty. 
We just agreed to do something. Why did you try to poison us, all of us? And then they said, well, if you were lying and you were not a prophet, then we would have gotten rid of you. Look, they're very honest now. If you're not a prophet, then you are going to die. Then that's it. We're, 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 we're glad. But if you were actually a prophet and you were telling the truth, we know that Allah would save you. Look at the arrogance. Look at the arrogance. They tried to kill a prophet and a messenger and they said, well, if you are actually a prophet, Allah will save you. You know? And of course, he indeed was saved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the shoulder of the lamb spoke to him, but they still didn't believe, which again proves the point. It's all about arrogance. SubhanAllah. Then the Prophet said, tell me about who, who, who cooked the food, who, who did that. And they told him about the widow who lost her husband and her, her, her brother. So he, you know, called the lady and he started speaking with her and he said, why did you do this? And she said, you killed my husband, you killed my brother and all I wanted is to kill you in return. I have so much grief, I have so much anger and I want to kill you. So look at how amazing this is. The Prophet actually decided to forgive her. He decided to forgive her. He felt her pain and he said, you know what? You're for Now, she's, she was not going to be executed for trying to kill the Prophet but now we know your grief and whatever, we're cautious now. But the thing is, when this happened, Bishr didn't die yet. So a few days later when Bishr died, the Prophet ﷺ had to execute her out of, you know, the law, the qasas, you know, by law. If you kill someone. Now, the Prophet ﷺ forgave her for what she did to him, right? But she actually killed the man. Bishr was still dying. He was not dead yet. So the Prophet forgave her. If Bishr is like, you know, is recovered because they gave him medicine and they tried to extract the poison from him and all these things, right? So if he was going to live, she was not going to be harmed. But the problem is Bishr died. So she was executed. And basically that was uh, the law of any land, you know, execution for murder. So uh, that was that. Uh, and also uh, another incident took place after the Khaybar was, uh, or during Khaybar was, the marriage of Safiya. Now we talked about uh, Safiya bint Huyay, uh, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu our uh, you know mother Safiya. Uh, but we talked about her briefly during the uh, episode of the wives of the of the Prophet sallallahu because you know here she has a bigger story. Uh, so Safiya was the daughter of Huyay. Now who is Huyay? Huyay was the leader of Banu Nadir, the one who straight up went to Quraysh and asked him to start the battle of the trench. That is the father of Safiya, Huyay. Uh, so after the battle of Khaybar, she was a prisoner of war. Okay, she because she lived in Khaybar after you know Banu Nadir was were ex- expelled to Khaybar, right? She lived there, she grew up there, and she was given after the battle, she was given to one of the companions uh, as his prisoner of war. Uh, but everyone wanted the Prophet ﷺ to take her from him. Now, she's the daughter of the chieftain. You know, she deserves better. Basically, that's what they told the Prophet ﷺ. So, she, uh, Safiya was owned by uh, uh, a companion. And the Prophet ﷺ basically uh, uh, went and bought her. Again, she's a prisoner of war. Bought her from that companion. And that companion uh, sold her to the Prophet ﷺ. Now, uh, our Prophet ﷺ wanted to actually marry Safiya. You know, she's, again, Jewish, right? She's from the tribe of Banu. She's literally the daughter of the chieftain of Banu Nadir. Uh, and her entire family, not entire family, but her, like, her father 
was executed with Banu Quraida. Remember, he stayed with Banu Quraida in their castle in Medina after the Battle of the Trench, and he was executed with them. Uh, her father was killed. Her husband was killed. She was married. Uh, uh, so she's a widow, too. Uh, so, like, th- this woman has, uh, uh, you know, a lot of f- uh, issues with the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ wanted to test her before, you know, he uh, would offer to marry her. So one time he went to her and he said, you know what? Your father was my worst enemy of the Jews. He plotted to kill me multiple times until Allah caused his demise. Now, these are harsh words to say to the daughter of that man that you're talking about. But the Prophet ﷺ wanted to see her reaction. Now, Safiya learned a lot from the Muslims while she was a prisoner of war. So the Prophet ﷺ was waiting to see her response. And then she said, and very eloquently, she said, Don't you have in the Quran a verse that says, Allah does not connect two separate sins? Meaning, because my father was your enemy... It doesn't mean that I will be your enemy. This is actually in the chapter of Isra. When you commit a sin, and then later on you commit another sin, Allah does not say, oh, because there are two sins now, it's magnified. The sins are magnified. No. You do one sin, and then if you repent from it, and you do another sin, it's it's a clean slate. Right? So she was saying it in that you know context. Then uh, when, the, when she said that the Prophet ﷺ, you know, uh, gave her the ultimate choice And that was the final test He said if you want to become a Muslim Because she's not a Muslim yet If you want to become a Muslim Then you can remain with me But if you want to remain upon Judaism Then I will free you And you could go live with the rest of your people Because again remember The people of, of Khaybar was they, they had their freedom They were living there and farming and all doing all these things So he said you can go li- live with your people So Here's what's interesting. The Prophet ﷺ never told her, I'm going to marry you. He said, you can stay with me, meaning as a prisoner of war. So he's giving her a choice. If you want to become a Muslim, you live with me as, as, as a prisoner of war. But if you want to stay upon you know, Judaism, then you could go live with your people. You have your freedom. Just go have, you know, do whatever you want. Again, it shows you the Prophet's fairness. He gave her the ultimate choice. And he was going to honor whatever she chooses. So Safiya responds and she said, O Prophet of Allah, I was inclined towards Islam before I even met you. Again, like she, like she learned from the Muslims. And I believed in you before you asked me to even convert. Allah and his messenger are more beloved to me than being free and back with my people. Can you imagine? The Prophet never told her he was going to marry her. He's saying you're going to be a prisoner of war, right? And she was okay with it because she fell in love with the message of Islam, fell in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. This is a high level of faith. And it's coming from someone who's not even a Muslim yet. Think about it. Think about it. She chose to be quote-unquote slave rather than being free and away from Islam. SubhanAllah, it's incredible. So right away, the Prophet ﷺ freed her and he offered to marry her. They got married and the Prophet ﷺ, you know, saw bruises on her face the night of the wedding. And he asked her, you know, what happened? And she said that her, her husband, before he died, you know, who died in Khaybar, uh, did that to her. 
and she told them basically she had a dream and she saw that a moon was rising from Medina. A moon was rising from Medina. And it came to Khaybar and it dropped in her lap. So her husband literally smacked her in the face and punched her. And I said, do you expect the king of the Arabs to come and marry you? Because that's how they called the Prophet ﷺ, the king of the Arabs. So basically he beat her up because of her dream that, you know, and, and subhanAllah, this was Allah's message to her. A moon, which was an indicate, like that was representing the Prophet ﷺ, was going to rise up from Medina and come sit in her lap. That means he was going to be hers, the Prophet ﷺ, And that was a clear message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, our Prophet ﷺ was extremely upset because of what happened to her. He, he consoled her and whatever. And she lived like she was a very happy wife. Then the next morning, and this is a very funny uh, incident, we're going to end with that. The Prophet ﷺ, when he left his tent, you know, after the wedding and all these things, he sees that one of the Ansar, one of the companions, was standing in front of the tent holding his sword. So he asked him, Allahu Akbar, what happened? Did something happen? And then the companion said, Listen, O Prophet of Allah, I don't trust that woman. I didn't trust to leave you with her because she lost all of her family members. She might want to harm you. And the Prophet ﷺ laughed so hard. And he said, don't worry about it. She's my wife now. I trust her. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trusts her. And he told them not to worry. And he made dua for him that Allah would bless him for, you know, being so, uh, you know, worried about the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, so, yeah, that was a, a very funny incident that took place. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. And that concluded the Battle of Khaybar. I think this is the only battle that, you know, was concluded in, in one episode. Because, again, there was not much detail about the battle that we, you know, was recorded. That's all we know. So, thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.